If you got your Bibles, we are going to be in the Old Testament book of Ruth this morning. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And so as uh, you're turning there last week, right after church, we we'll, uh, ate lunch and me and three of my kiddos got in my truck and we drove over to Tishomingo State Park. Uh, and if you've ever been there, it's amazing. I love that place. And if you remember, the weather wasn't exactly beautiful last week, but we were going. And so we went and uh, we were meeting up with our, actually our neighbors that were over there and, and uh, did some hiking through trails and it's just beautiful over there. And so we are hiking the trails and one of my boys, Elijah, he wants to take a picture. And so I give him uh, my phone, and, and so uh, all of you have smartphones. Uh, if I do this and I ask, what's he doing? Y'all know what he's doing? If he's taking a picture and he's doing this, he's zooming in, right? He's zooming in. So he's got his picture. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm zooming in because he does not care what else is happening in the picture. He just wants a picture of like the event or the object that he's trying to get a picture of. And so he takes that picture and then he hands it back to me. And, and I want to take some pictures too, but I'm not so much wanting to lock in on just one object. I want to see as much as I can possibly see. So then with my fingers, I do the opposite. I can just kind of bring it back and I'm zooming out because I want to see everything. And as we walk through the book of Ruth, uh, what we are going to be doing is we're going to zoom in and we're going to zoom out. And we're going to zoom in and we're going to zoom out. So kind of hold that idea for a moment uh, because it, it, you may wonder, be curious, like why Ruth during Christmas? And, and so because the book of Ruth, there is a woman and there's a man and there's a baby and it all happens in Bethlehem. And we're going to see how this story that takes place in Bethlehem in this moment in time as we zoom in for a good bit of our time. We're also going to zoom out and we're going to see how this story involving these specific people, how they really may not see it at the moment, but they're actually part of a way bigger story than they would ever realize and they could ever know. Because as we get started today, we are going to be introduced to a guy named Elimelech. We're going to be inter introduced to Naomi. We're going to be introduced to Malon and Kilion, their boys. We're going to be inter introduced to those boys' wives, Orpah and Ruth. And next week, we will introduce, be introduced to a man named Boaz. And as we walk through chapter 1 this morning, it actually 10 years of life happens in chapter 1. From the verse 1 to the last verse of the chapter, 10 years pass. And there's a lot that's going on. But we're blessed to see the whole picture. But they can't see it at the point we're reading. And so what they don't realize is their story is actually part of a larger story that we'll call the grand redemptive narrative of Scripture. It's the, it's the big picture of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and how their story in it plays a part of the bigger story. And that is the encouragement that I hope that we all walk away with this morning is that your story, your personal story is part of a way bigger story. And sometimes all we can see is what's right in front of us. When the reality is, is that God wants to use that moment as a part of a bigger picture. 
So let's jump right in here to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. And we're just going to get a few words in before we stop. But let's look at verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1. The Bible says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So this is important because it's kind of going to lay the groundwork for the next several weeks of really getting our, the best grip we can on this book. It says that in the days when the judges ruled. So as we look at the Old Testament from Genesis to Deuteronomy, you see that, that, that there is a people of God that has been formed. We are introduced to the patriarchs. We see the great miracle of the Old Testament with the Exodus and how they wander through the wilderness, ultimately to the brink of crossing into the promised land. And that's a broad stroke of what's happening, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And Joshua, the next book, uh, we were there last week, but in Joshua, you see God's people crossing over the Jordan on dry ground into the promised land and they're settling there. So they're getting settled in this new promised land. And then by the book of Judges, we're introduced to a, a, what was probably the darkest hour of Israel's history. They are, they are in this time, they have no king. And so like anarchy's happening, civil wars happening. There's people are all wrapped up in their sin and their struggles. They're turning their hearts from God. They're turning their hearts on each other. And, 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 it, and the, the people are kind of in a mess. And what happens is the people realize they're in a mess and they cry out to God. And what happens is enemies begin to come over and begin to rule over them and they cry out to God and God raises up what's known as a judge. And that judge delivers his people out of those, uh, out of those enemy rule. And if you read the book of Judges, it's like a cycle. It like happens over and over and over again. And it's in this time that the book of Ruth is taking place in the days when the judges ruled. It's a dark time. There's famine in the land. And with this dark time and famine happening in the land, there is encouragement in this. Because just like what we're going to see in the story, and just like we may be experienced in our lives, our darkest hour, our most desperate hour, the time where we feel like everything is coming apart at the seams, that in those moments... The encouragement is that God is at work and God is always working. There's never a time where God is not working. And that's what we're going to see in Ruth. We're going to see a time where literally everything is bursting at the seams. Everything in life is like a fever pitch. And yet in the midst of it, the encouragement is God is working. So in Ruth 1.1, the Bible says that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and they remained there. Now life is full of all kinds of decisions and choices. I mean, even up to this point, there's probably been a countless number of decisions, whether you made consciously or subconsciously, that you arrived even in this place today. And every single decision brings a consequence. 
Now, all decisions are not created equal. All consequences are not created equal. But every decision carries a consequence. And in this front end of the story, Elimelech is making a major decision. And that decision is to reject the land that God had given them through his promise, rejecting the people of the land, his own people, the Jews, in order to pursue the greener grass. Elimelech's name means my God is king. So anytime his name would be said, that would be the, the, the meaning that would ring out. My God is king. But here's the challenge. The challenge is his name it means my God is king, but he is not living life like God is king. And he is making a decision to gather up his family and to, and to abandon the land of God, abandon the people of God, and go about 50 miles east to Moab, which may, we might call the greener grass, or at least it looks like it. It looks like the greener grass. And so the people of God and the people of Moab have been at odds for a very long time. If you trace the people of Moab, if you go back to their, their earliest days, their, the start of that people began when Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, Lot had an incestuous relationship with his oldest daughter. They had a child, and that child was named Moab. And this is the, how the, the people of Moab began and so fast forward, now there's obviously a multitude of Moabites. And then as the people of God left Egypt and were making their way to Canaan, it was the, it was the Moabites that treated the nation of Israel harshly as they were mark, making their way towards Canaan. Not only that, in Judges 3, you'll read that for 18 years, in one of those seasons where the Israelites had turned their back on God, turned their back on one another, the Moabites actually came in and ruled for a season of time before God raised up a judge and delivered them. And so there's a lot of tension between the Moabites and the Israelites, but it is the land that Elimelech said, I'm going to take my family and I'm going to plant them here. And we're going to go and we're going to sojourn. Sojourn makes it sound like it's just going to be for a little while. And so they're going to sojourn there into this land that is known and marked by idolatry, worship of false gods, and sexual immorality. That is how you would describe the land of Moab. And this is where he chooses to go. And so with that choice, he is choosing to reject God's will for his life. He's choosing to reject God's plan for his life. He's choosing to reject where God has planted them in this land that he has given to them. And he's rejecting them. He's moving outside God's will. And he's going to move outside God's blessing by going his own way. And it's going to come at a high cost. And so in application of this passage, one of the applications we see is that misplaced trust leads to great disappointment. Misplaced trust leads to great disappointment. All this had its root in the fact that Elimelech did not trust God. He did not trust that God would not forsake his people. He did not trust that God wouldn't deliver them ultimately from that famine. He decided to instead trust himself and not listen to God and go his own way. In other words, in his own wisdom and his own power, he's like, I'm going to take these matters into my own hands and I'm going to fix this problem. Let's go 
to Moab. And if we think about it, sin is anything we think, say, or do that hurts the heart of God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we are all sinners in need of God's grace and forgiveness. Every single one of us. But if you trace the root back to why we sin, ultimately you will find it's because we don't trust God. We don't trust Him. We don't, even if you go back to the garden, Genesis, Adam and Eve, God in His love and in His kindness and in His grace and in His mercy, He says, but of this tree do not eat the fruit. And then the enemy comes slithering in. I said, did God really say that? Did God really say that? And in that moment, the Adam and Eve choose to not trust God's word and to go their own way. And we're feeling the effects of it today. And so you can trace it all to this lack of trust. And then a tragic day came about in verse three. The Bible says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died. And she was left with her two sons and they took Moabite wives. Remember, the Jews and the Moabites are at enmity with one another. And now Jews are marrying Moabites, which was forbidden for Jews, especially Moabites. The Bible goes on to say in verse 4, these, two, these took Moabite wives and the name of the one was Orpah. And the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there, listen to this, about 10 years. Just like that. Isn't it amazing how Elimelech is like, I'm going to take up my family and I'm just going to sojourn. I'm just going to go for a little while. I'm just going to go over here to the greener grass for a little while. And we blink and it's been 10 years. 10 years. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. From verses 3 through 5 is a 10 year nightmare. This woman named Naomi, her heart is shattered into a million pieces. She has lost her husband. She has not only lost one of her boys, she's lost both of her boys. And in a breath that we read this text, she loses everything that she has. And for what for a family might be considered the curse of all curses is that the family name is not continuing, especially in that culture. So she is shattered. Her heart's shattered. Her heart's broken. Maybe you can relate. You've been there. There's, there's nothing right now that's going to that's gonna make everything better. Her world has fallen apart. In verse 6, the Bible says that when she arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. I love this. You know what? She had gotten, she had gotten to the place where enough was enough. And she had gotten word that the Lord had restored the land of Bethlehem. 
The word Bethlehem means house of bread. It's almost like this idea that the, the shelves are being restocked in Bethlehem. Let's, let's get back. And so how do you do that? You turn. You return. That's what that word repentance means. She turns. She turns from the emptiness of Moab and turns back to the land of promise and turns back to God. And just in this moment, as we talk about, we're going to zoom in and we're going to zoom out. We're zooming in right now. But as we zoom out, we will see all through this book and all through the Bible, how this story is a part of a bigger story. And in God's providence and in his grace and in his mercy, you see him pursuing his people. So for Naomi, she would say, I got word from the Lord, but I read the Bible and I say the Lord got word to her. I see God pursuing her and God always has this invitation to return home. And so she gets word and they get word and they're coming back and she calls the Lord's name. That word Lord there is Yahweh. It's his covenant name. It means I keep my promise to my people. That's what I do because I'm a covenant making covenant keeping God. I am Yahweh. And so what they are in and what they can't really see right now is God's providential hand is guiding these events ultimately to set the stage to fulfill a bigger purpose for all of humanity that we all receive the fruit from as we will see as we continue the story. And so in response to God's grace, in response to God's mercy, in response to God's kindness, Naomi returns she returns home. She turns from, from Moab and she turns to God, to which we see a point of application for our lives is that repentance is the way home. Repentance is the way home. Turning marks the way back home. No, Naomi makes a 180 degree turn and begins to go back the same way that she got there. She changes her mind about her location she changes her mind about her circumstances. She changes her mind about what they have allowed themselves to live in, in this country of immorality and idolatry and says, it is time to return home. And in God's kindness, he pursues her. And I love Romans 2, 4, that says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness, the whole design is that you would turn your heart and turn to him. The Bible says over in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 uh, and 20, the Bible says, Repent or turn, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I love that. So for the believer in the room, you have a personal relationship with Jesus. What does it look like to maintain a thriving relationship with him? Repentance and faith. For the person who may be here listening online who does not have a relationship with Jesus, what does that look like? Repentance and faith. One is to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. That is a once and for all decision. But for the believer, I think if we had a testimony time, I think we could all probably testify of times in our lives we have allowed things in our lives to get in the way of our relationship with God. And it's not everything it could be. And so what does it look like to restore that relationship? And it is repentance. It's turning. It's turning. I love this invitation of Jesus to thriving 
loving relationship to the believer. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says, if my people. So if you're his, this is for you. This is for us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What does that look like? Humbling our hearts, seeking his presence, turning away, repentance, calling sin what it is, turning away from it, changing our mind about it. And what? Resting in his grace, resting in his forgiveness, resting in his healing. So there's great encouragement. The, the distance between a believer and a thriving revival relationship with Jesus is a prayer away. It's a prayer away, a prayer away. Sometimes, and I especially, sometimes I can make things more complicated than, than it really is. We try to make it all about like this, 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 is this, when the reality is, it's just, it's like, hey, just pray, humble your heart, seek the Lord, turn from your wicked way and rest in him, rest in him. But for those living apart from a relationship, the encouragement to you is repent and trust in him as your Lord. Just like Caden Carson have made that once and for all decision in their lives to repent of their sin and trust Jesus, that Jesus came to earth, lived a life that we could never live, that he met God's standard of perfection that must be had in order to have a relationship and spend eternity with him. That he took his perfect life to a cross and died a death that we should have died. Then on that cross, Jesus Christ absorbed all of the wrath against our sin. He took it upon himself and he was crucified on a cross and he was placed in a tomb and he rose from the dead, proving that he alone has the power to forgive sin, giving him the right to buy us back through the price of his blood for which we were created, a relationship with Him. And so even right now, if that's you and you're living apart from a relationship with, you, with Him, He'll give that relationship to you right now if you will turn and change your mind about self and change your mind about sin and trust in Him as Lord to save you. Repentance marks the way home. So you might be kind of, maybe it describes you kind of wandered. Kind of wonder, I'm just going to sojourn over here to the greener grass for a little while. And you blink and it's been 10 years. And so even the encouragement for us is God is saying, come back. Come back and find refreshment for your soul. Find refreshment. Verse 8, chapter 1. But Naomi said to her, her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, and the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi's heart, I mentioned, is shattered. Here's the realness of the text. She feels like she is a target for God's wrath. That's what she feels like. It's what she feels like her life has become. And what she is saying to her two daughters-in-law is like, listen, you have so much to live for. Listen, go back home. Go back to your, to your, to your mother's home. Find a husband. Get married. Have kids. Live happily ever after. That's what she's urging them to do. And, 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 and I think all of us be like, that's a, that's a noble thing to, to say to her daughters-in-law. And no doubt that Naomi is like, part of this whole thing is like, listen, you go, you go back home because if you come with me, if you come with me to Bethlehem, a Moabite in Bethlehem, a cursed people in Bethlehem, a people that have this enmity for years and years and years, and you come to Bethlehem, she, maybe she's looking out for him. She's like, listen, you, you just need to go back. And, and, and Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and it's the last time we read about her. She kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and she, she goes back to her world. And, 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 but, but Ruth clings to her. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 where uh, the Bible says this, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father, and here it is, and hold fast to his wife. That word hold fast and Ruth clinging, same word, same identical word. Naomi says to Ruth in verse 15, she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She's pleading with her again, like, listen, please just go back home. She's saying, look, I'm too bitter for you. I'm eating up with bitterness. I mean, it would be, it's not good for you to be around me. It's not good for me to be around you. You just need to go back. And what we're about to read, that in all of scripture, you will not find a more powerful, beautiful, poetic com, uh, uh, scripture of commitment in all the Bible. So much so, uh, you may have been to a wedding where this has been said in the wedding. The words of Ruth to her mother-in-law. The Bible says this in verse 16. Ruth said this, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And, then, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. What we are reading is the testimony of Ruth becoming a believer in the one true living God. This is her testimony. She is willing to give up everything she has to follow God's will and God's plan. 
Just like Naomi, Ruth had all kinds of reasons to think she too was a target. I lost my father-in-law. I lost my brother-in-law. I lost my husband. Over the past 10 years, she lost probably the three people closest to her. And yet, you do not see her growing bitter, but you see her trusting God even in the midst of it. Ruth is understanding that her commitment to God and to His people and to His land, this means that she is accepting widowhood for the rest of her life. It means she's accepting childlessness for the rest of her life. And her commitment is to go. And so I have no idea what that journey looked like. It's about 50 miles from Moab to Bethlehem. It could have been complete silence. Like you ever had kind of a, a rough conversation, awkward conversation, you're in the car and you just don't say anything. I don't know. It might've been that. They might not have said the word. They might have not have said a word. It might have been that, that Ruth is like, okay, well, if you're coming to Bethlehem, here's some things you need to know about Judaism. Here's things you need to know about worship. Here's things you need to know about this. And maybe it's mother-in-law trying to equip her daughter-in-law with what to expect when she gets there. But they make their way there. And in verse 19, it says, the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? 10 years. She's lost her husband. She's lost her boys. And now time has a way. Pain has a way of wearing on us. I don't know what Naomi looked like when she left Bethlehem. I don't know what she looked like when she came back from Bethlehem. But I can only imagine even the voice of those stirred up like, is that, is that Naomi? Worn down a widow, lost both her boys, and now the only person by her side is a Moabite woman. A cursed person walking into town. And look at what Naomi says. Verse 20, she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Her name, Naomi means pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. The word means bitterness. Says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? It's been said that for Naomi that she was a woman with empty hands, an empty home, and an empty heart. That she is completely broken. Her heart is shattered. And I can only imagine that she feels God is as distant as he could possibly ever be. As far as feeling wise. We know we must trust truth, not our feelings. But feelings are real. And we can't pretend that feelings aren't real. And you can see her. She's working through it. We're going to see her work through it in the chapters to come. But on two times, actually four times in these last couple of verses, you hear Naomi referring to God with two specific names. That in the midst of her pain, she refers to God as the Almighty. In Hebrew, the original language is the word El Shaddai. 
It's the meaning that God can do anything. That He is all-powerful. And perhaps she knows the name, but she's having trouble believing it right now. The Bible says in Psalm 19, And those who know your name, God's name, put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Two times she says, you're the God Almighty. You're the God Almighty. And two times she calls God His covenant name, His relational name, His promise-keeping name, which is Yahweh. And, and I love that this word Yahweh, this name, means so much. But uh, John Piper says it this way, 10 things that come to mind when we hear the name Yahweh. Number one, that God never had a beginning. Every child asks who made God. And every wise parent says, nobody made God. God simply is and always was. Two, that God will never end. If he did not come into being, he cannot go out of being because he is being. Three, God is absolute reality. There is no reality before him. There is no reality outside of him unless he wills it and makes it. He is all that was eternally, no space, no universe, no emptiness, only God. For God is utterly independent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being or support him or counsel him to make him what he is. Five, everything that is not God depends totally on God. The entire universe is utterly secondary. It came into being by God and stays in being moment by moment on God's decision to keep it in being. Six, all the universe is by comparison to God is nothing. As an echo to a thunderclap, all that we are amazed by in the world and in the galaxy is compared to God as nothing. Seven, God is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot be improved upon. He is not becoming anything. He is who he is. Eight, God is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. There is no law book to which he looks to know what is right, no almanac to establish facts, no guild to determine what is excellent or beautiful. He himself is the standard of what is right and what is true and what is beautiful. Nine, God does whatever he pleases and it is always right and always beautiful and always in accord with truth. All reality that is outside of him, he created and designed and governs as the absolute reality. So he is utterly free from any constraints that don't originate from the counsel of his will. Ten, God is the most important and most valuable reality and person in the universe. He is more worthy of interest and attention and admiration and enjoyment than all other realities, including the entire universe. And so when Naomi is praying, we can know and she can know that God is present in the pain. And even in the pain, he is the almighty. And even in the pain, he is a covenant keeping relational Lord. That because of his greatness, he is the all powerful one. And because of his goodness, he's the covenant relation keeping God with his people. And I can only imagine that as Naomi made her way to Bethlehem, she had to have thought, this is it. I'm going to spend the rest of my life just with a, a fruitless, barren life. But yet, little does she know that when we zoom out, we've been zooming in, when you zoom out, you see a picture that she could never imagine. A picture this family could never 
imagine that God is setting the stage to use her, to use her children, to use her Moabite daughter-in-law to play a vital role in redeeming all of mankind. Because at this moment, I'm so tempted right now to go to chapter four and read the end. (laughs) But we're gonna get there. But just know, all she sees is what she can see right now. But the encouragement is that God is always working. And her story is a part of a way bigger story. And your story is a part of a way bigger story. Verse 22 says this, and I'm wrapping up here in chapter one. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I love God's providence. I love God's timing. They have turned from a wasteland. They have turned from a place of idolatry, sexual immorality, just the whole thing. And they have turned back. They have repented and are turning back to the land of promise. The land of promise that God has promised his people. And it just so happens to be barley harvest time. Which means this is a season, although Naomi doesn't feel it right now, it's a season of joy for the people. It's a season of of praise for the people because it's springtime, because it's harvest time. And Naomi and Ruth are about to be a part of an incredible, amazing new beginning that they could have never have mapped out and they could never have planned it. They are back and it is springtime. And it is time for a new beginning. And we're going to see more about that new beginning next week. And the next week. And the next week as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Celebrating Christmas. And so a couple of encouragements. One, maybe today, maybe it's just good to hear this. Even in the time of the judges. And even in the darkest hour. And even in the time where my heart is hurting, the encouragement is that God is present and God is always at work. He's always working. We see it here. Naomi doesn't quite see it yet. She's going to see it so clearly very soon. She's going to see it. God's at work. God's at work. There's never a time where God isn't working. Your story, a part of a bigger story. The second might be, an encouragement to the believers in the room. And so perhaps we can relate with Naomi. Perhaps if you were here today and I were to ask you this question, we uh, sit down, grab a cup of coffee, sit knee to knee, and just uh, the question is this, tell me about your personal relationship with the Lord. And depending on what that looks like, how you answer that, it might be something to the effect of, well, it's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. And so maybe even today relating a little bit with Naomi, who for what was going to be a sojourn ended up turning into 10 years in a land of idolatry. And perhaps Naomi knew and perhaps you know as well, that's not a land of God's blessing on your life. Matter of fact, 
We may pray for the blessing of God, but if we are, we are purposefully, intentionally living outside of His will, it's hard to bless that. And so the encouragement is this, is repent. It's one of the greatest, awesomest, most freeing words in the, in the Bible. Repent. Repent is a good word. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And it could be God's kindness that his Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart a little bit. And he's saying, hey, you know these things and that thing and, and this that, that you're kind of allowing to be in the way of our relationship. Hey, turn, repent, and make your way back into right, thriving relationship with God. And respond to God's kindness and his mercy and your love. And find, I love how Acts says it, refreshment. Refreshment, refreshment. It could be that you hear the story and maybe you respond more with Ruth. And if the question where we sit down, you say, Tim, about your relationship with God, you would say, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't have a personal relationship with God. Like Ruth, right? Ruth was, was born into Moab. She's a Moabite. She's born into this land of, of godlessness, of idolatry, of sin, and, and all this stuff. And and, and, and so what happens in the story is you see God pursuing her in this land, pursuing her and seeing her come into relationship with him. And so today it might be, you know what? I don't have a relationship with God, but I, I heard you talk about that gospel message just a little ways ago about how Christ came and lived a life I could never live and died a death that I should have died took on the wrath of my sin on himself was placed in the tomb and rose again the third day. Proving that he has the power to forgive sin and restore relationship and make things right with God. And I need to do that today. And that begins when I change my mind and I change my direction. I repent and I trust in Jesus as Lord. You can't accept Lord. You can't accept Jesus as Lord apart from repenting. Because what happens is we allow other things to be Lord in our lives. And so we got to repent and we turn. So if you're here today and living outside of a relationship, I pray that you hear God's love and God's mercy and God's pursuit of your heart. And just that encouragement that our story is a part of a way bigger story. And let's not let feelings cloud the truth of God. Because God's truth is true no matter what, no matter when, no matter how. God's truth is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you. And uh, God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this story. I thank you for this opportunity to zoom in on the life of a family that is, uh, it's a historical, factual, actual family. A factual, historical, actual event took place. And God, how in the midst of great brokenness, the stage is being set for you to redeem a people for yourself. And so God, I want to pray for the Naomi's here today. I want to pray for those who, for whatever reason, just have allowed ourselves to sojourn into a land that we know that God is not honored with. But God, the way home is through repentance. And I love that you're a heavenly father that loves your children. 
and that I can only imagine are longing for your children to come home. So God, I pray today would be a day of repentance and rest for those who have a relationship with God, but the relationship isn't everything that it should be and could be. I pray that times of refreshing may come. I pray today for the Ruths. I pray for those who are living apart from a relationship, God, that they would sense your love and your care and your pursuit of them in relationship, bringing refreshment to their lives and purpose to their hearts. So God, I pray that however this word, God, your spirit would apply to our hearts. God, I thank you for grace. I thank you for kindness. I thank you that you work all things together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to have a, a song of, of invitation, a song of response. And listen, I, I realize responses can look a lot of different ways, but I just want you to know if we'll have pastors here, if we can pray over you, it would be a privilege to be able to pray over you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, please, we want you to feel at home and come pray at the altar. But let's, let's tune our hearts to the Lord and pray and that we would be responsive to him this morning. Thank you.